join us as we take a look behind the scenes with the independent musicians of Louisiana. Learn about upcoming projects before they drop. Experience the rich heritage of iconic venues and get first-hand accounts of exclusive events. Musicians are remarkable people. Get to know them, their struggles, and the inspiration for their art. NewOrleansMusicians.com is dedicated to uplifting the artists and providing them with the tools necessary to elevate their craft. We shine a spotlight on them, as well as highlight the music scene and educate everyone with our interviews, album reviews, and music scene news. This is NewOrleansMusicians.com. Uh, name is Wayne Kahn. I grew up in Alexandria, Virginia, or in, as I, it's Washington, D.C. I grew up in D.C. Okay. And um, how did you uh, come to be acquainted, I guess, with uh, the Carrier Project? Um, that was the result of... I had a record label in, in, that started in the mid-90s and um, called Right On Rhythm. And I had gotten the first CD, which was a documentation of the D.C. area club scene in the mid-90s. Uh, great lineups of people. And I ran into Roy Carrier uh, at a midweek Wednesday between the, um, between the weekends of Jazz Fest. There was a, a, a party that Roy passed through. And I had just collected that CD on the way to New Orleans in 1996. And saw Roy, and I ran up to him with it, and I said, here, Roy, here's who you can find playing in the clubs around D.C. when you come up and hang out around D.C., because he was doing that at that time, yeah, camping out, and he would show up at things. And he, he said, well, you, you can take me when I come up to D.C. And I went, what? <laughs> who? <laughs> me? Because uh, I was working. Um, I listened real hard, and... I was doing it, I started taping bands live in the clubs around DC uh, to give them work tape was the, the passion. I, there were some incredible players. Uh, I start with Big Joe and the Dynaflows of that era. Mm -hmm. Big Joe, who had been around for, he's my age, you know, he's been around for decades. Uh, with Jeff Sarley, who goes on to play with uh, Keith Richards, with Kevin McKendry who goes on to Nashville for Leroy Parnell and Delbert McClinton and Grammys uh, uh, was the first band I taped. But there were so many other people uh, that, that just an incredible scene, Steve Jacobs. So it was a passion for the scene um, and to sit at a door uh, and uh, hear, be, Running the door for a three dollar a cover night, nineteen ninety four five. Yeah. And behind me is that lineup: Rusty Bogart, Big Joe, Kevin McHenry, Jeff Sarley, just wailing. And I say, "That's three dollars." And they they look at me sort of, uh, okay, <laughs> never mind. Yeah. And I'm like, "It's less than a beer." And this is incredible. How can you? You know, it's and the blues you would hate to lose was. In many ways, it's the homage to these small rooms, because uh, that is the blues you'd hate to lose, is the music of small rooms. And, and what was what was that the title for? Uh, th that was the first CD, Blues You Would Hate Just Hate to Lose, Volume 1. Okay, so it's this compilation. 
Oh. Basically, live. Right, right. Okay. Nap Turner, first place he ever showed up on a CD. Robert Lighthouse, first place he ever showed up on a CD. Big Jesse Yawn, first place he ever showed up on a CD. Plus, <clears throat> so many other lineups. Steve Jacobs with Big Joe and just mixes of people around town. And started chasing, you know, I'd been chasing the scene around. I had a passion for it. And DC is also what I call the great unrecognized. It's known in the circle, uh, but if you play a game with people and say, quick, name all of the, name your most important music cities. New Orleans sits off by itself, but then they start rattling off Chicago, Kansas City, New York, uh, LA, Memphis, Nash, you know, and I say, keep going, keep going, keep going. When did you say Washington, D.C.? Yeah. And they, they might think about it, uh, and they, they might not ever reach it. But if you ask that same question a different way, uh, and you're talking about footprint across music, all those places you think of are worthy of being thought of. But sure. they're pretty much known for a thing, other than New Orleans. You know. yeah. But uh, if you say, okay, what does Ellington mean to jazz? He's not jazz, he's this big wave that comes across the culture of music. Uh, what does Charlie Bird mean to the introduction of Latin jazz to the whole country and the world? Um, what does Marvin Gaye mean to male singers? Uh, right. What do Patsy, Emmy Lou, Mary Chapin, Ruth Brown mean to female singers? What does Link Ray mean to a whole wedge of rock and roll guitar? What is bluegrass without DC? It doesn't exist the same way. Go-Go. Um, uh, yeah, Go-Go. DC's known for Go-Go. New Orleans is big on Go-Go. But I sit and hear Niles Rogers and George Clinton say, go, go, shh, you know, jumping off point for hip hop and rap. So there's a whole other wedge sure. and it, thing. It but different. DC is not known as a music town. And that's part of the soapbox. That's the soapbox. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, and then, then I had a radio show called DC Roots of Music where I got to explore all those different names I just threw out. It, it was not genre specific, so I could travel that whole range of names and everything they connected to. Sure. Uh, and that was something, as I had said before we started taping, it was a 50-year bucket list type of thing yeah. uh, that I thought I was going to do when I came out of high school. But it took 50 years to do it. Um, Roy Carrier, how, how did you know him before him? Because it seemed like y'all must have had a run-in before that. He that knew time. me... Um, there's another reason for right on rhythm. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you hit the beat. You can make mistakes as long as they're on time. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, you make, you know, it, so it comes from Zydeco dancing. Uh, once I discovered this one thing about Zydeco, uh, Washington, D.C. is a great dance town. You name the dance, you will find people who will make you smile, make you laugh, and just amaze you in what they do. Um, Zydeco is a vigorous partner dance, doesn't have to be, can be as big or as small as space you want, um, but it's the only one that I discovered or knew of that allowed the male to close his eyes. <laughs> Women get to close their eyes all the time. They're supposed to be led around by the male, mm. but in Zydeco, since it's a two-step that doesn't travel, stays in a space, it all happens within a, a little box in a way yeah and it gives me that luxury <laughs> and it became that so Roy was just Roy um, 
Roy's a blues man. I was chasing blues, discovered Zydeco with you know, hearing Lynn August for the first time, and DC took to Zydeco. Uh, DC is an important town to Zydeco because it gave the Southwest Louisiana musicians a place to travel that was not San Francisco uh, mm -hmm. or in their backyard, Houston. And a whole circuit worked up the East Coast from there. But uh, so Roy recognized me from being, anytime he's playing, I was there dancing in front of him. Yeah. And, uh, and the same with this group of people, the party I was at, they were all Zydeco. He, Roy knew everybody there. Yeah. So, um, and then from that was in 96, I started taping Roy every time he came to DC. Uh, put four CDs, five CDs, six, five CDs out and it got critically acclaimed. I mean, when I first started working with Roy, the most commonly asked question was, what's his relation to Chubby? And my response would be, Chubby learned at his knee. And um, just, we became his record label, we became his publisher. Yeah. Um, uh, we fought a publishing war, not war, publishing fight for him that put him in control of his entire catalog of recorded music, publishing-wise. The publishing fight was, you know, as part of the discovery, you know, when he started working with me, he had just had an out with Lee Laverne. Um, he had taken a trip to England and discovered CDs that he didn't know existed with music he had recorded that hadn't, you know, they were on CDs in England, but not in the States. Yeah. And that's what sort of led to him, me being somebody just appeared at that moment in time. Uh, but I didn't understand any of that. Uh, I just knew that he wouldn't let me record any of the older material. Any of his older material? Right, right. I was recording him live. Yeah. So I had him doing the older material, but he wouldn't let me touch any of it. And everything had to be something he hadn't recorded. Uh, and second CD came around. He let me do a couple of the older songs. So doing what I'm supposed to do with a record label, I'm getting my mechanical licenses through Harry Fox Agency. Um, and the rain stopped. <laughs> of course. Uh, and there were these two songs were hung out on the release of Twisted Shout where I couldn't get the license and eventually Harry Fox uh, returned the request piece of paper to me publisher something about the publisher not having copyright doesn't claim copyright or something like that and, um, and I have, so I have this piece of paper in the meantime in the production creation of that CD Lee Laverne had died who was Lee Laverne? Lenore Records. Okay. Who recorded a lot of people in Southwest Louisiana. <laughs> uh, Roy, one of them. Um, was that what was proven so difficult for the the uh, obtaining of the uh, that's license? That's part of it. Lee died, so there was nobody filing. You know, Lee's label, his possessions, they go into an estate. Correct. And they don't know what the fuck. You know, it's it's... They couldn't, there was nobody running anything. Lee was a one-man show. Uh, so what happens is the Murrays appear uh, and they bought Lee's estate. They only bought his estate because the son wanted the recording studio, uh. the garage studio. 
So they had this record label. And so we're, I find them. And I say, okay, I've got these two songs. I want to get my license. I got to, you know, I got to make sure it's all right. They said, okay, we will. I said, but you got to send me something that says, you know, you're the copyright holder. Nothing. <laughs> and I, a month, whatever goes by, I send them another request. Okay, yes, no, nothing. And that's the beginning of, well, in the meantime, um, I get this, I forget how the chronology of this works, but yeah. the, an email comes to me where somebody's wanting to know about the song, My Baby Wants to Leave Me. And I said, oh, I can tell you about that song. It was done on this cassette. It was come out in this year, and publisher doesn't have the copyright on it. And, and the immediate response was, what do you mean the publisher doesn't have the copyright? Yeah, that, that's just because of uh, the, right. the records being in shambles, I guess, from his death and... and right, such. well, what it turns out is Lee Laverne assumed most of Roy's copyright without the signature. Only the first seven songs had something resembling a signature, but it wasn't really. But then there's some, you know, dozens of songs after that that Lee assumed publishing on, and then you cannot do. Right. Uh, so they were without legs to stand on. But what had happened is Lee Laverne had licensed these songs to Peter something or other in England for his record label, and he put those CDs out. Oh, geez. So Peter, though, has worked the CD. He's the one that connects a song on there, My Baby Wants to Leave Me, to Uncle Ben's Rice for uh, a commercial. We, we did the copyright fight for him, and we ended up winning. Roy got all of his publishing. Didn't get the tapes, but got the publishing. And Right On Rhythm became his publisher for all of it, because he'd already was with all the stuff that we had, um, you know, released already. Yeah. So then it became it in its entirety, but now it's all part of Smithsonian Folkways, and it'll be part of Smithsonian Folkways Publishing when they get their house together. That's insane. And um, you, so you had established a relationship with this man um, during this time period. He was best man at our wedding. Right. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about that because there was a little bit more, that was maybe the business end of things, but there was a personal side to this as well. Roy, Roy was an amazing, um, culturally, he was a bridge man. He was a last man standing. And it became the fight to get him recognized for his place. Because when you have a last man standing, you're not supposed to ignore the last man standing. You're supposed to pay attention to the last man standing. Um, and that was always the shortfall. You know, he got to play Jazz Fest once, got to bring his elder cousins the second time, but then they never had him back. Uh, had him in line, you know, he applied for the NEH. Uh, grant or not grant, but the recognition, which is, which is National what? Heritage Foundation, uh -huh. the you know the the annual. And when Queen Ida got hers, I knew that he was running out of time because they generally rotate. It's a steep competition, you know, in terms of. But he taught an entire generation. He held a lot of his. his he was the center of his family, um, and he. Uh, we just became close to him. I mean, we put him up when he came to town 
uh, you served the house served as a base of operations for him yeah. on the East Coast in many ways, um, and we miss him. Yeah, and he's he was a. Uh, uh, you, you get tired dancing to Roy. <laughs> and for the for the people listening, that the the significance maybe you can frame up the significance of the Carrier family, and, and why it would be um, of interest to preserve. The project is called Zydeco by Birth. Uh, it was a project started 20 years ago by another person who became fascinated with the family story. Uh, Zydeco music is family music. And the Carrier family's history of involvement around it spans its entirety. The Arduans is another family that's like that. Yeah, so there are, it's, it's a his, a, a music of families. But um, the elders, Bebe and, and uh, Delon, um, the first person to record them was Chris Strakowitz. Uh, and he gave the world Blue Runner, which becomes a, a linchpin song to both Cajun and Zydeco. Mm -hmm. uh, through La La into Zydeco and Strong and Cajun. If you're a fiddler, you know that song. Um, Roy was, became, uh, attached to the elders. When he starts playing, there's only like five or six other bands. <clears throat> Clifton, Doopsy, um, he named them. He, uh, they'll be part of it, but they, he's one of the first people to start a band. And his, uh, he had the school, the Offshore Lounge, the jams at Offshore Lounge, where many of a second gen a next generation got their start and discovered who they got to play with. Um, so <clears throat> it's been a crusade in a way for him, but the family deserves the recognition for, you know, there's a, after the initial collection of this material, which is 2001 and two, so we have the elders along with Roy and Chubby and some family and some other people, but then there's a Grammy that happens. Roy's in the Hall of Fame that happens. So the family story continues. Um, and it's a story that is attached to the music. Sure. And uh, were they all, um, I'm assuming, accordion, or did some of them play different instruments? Uh, rub board, you know, accordion, uh, guitar. Roy was a guitar player. Oh, okay. Ronald's a bass player. Dwight can play a number of instruments. Kevin was a bass player. And different people, you know, family bands cover the basses. Yeah. Drummers. Um, uh, Roy starts as a rub board player, as yeah. they all seem to, and then they work their way into other things into the band. Mm -hmm. And um, also to kind of give them a, a clue into what was going on, uh, you had come into possession of uh, a lot of footage of the Carrier family, which is the bulk of any known documentation on them. Right. And you're in the process now of trying to see it through to uh, uh, a finished documentary. Finish the story. Because at the time it was gathered, you have Bebe and Delon. Delon is deceased. Bebe, Goldman, Goldman is still with us. Uh, Goldman Thibodeau, uh, he's a cousin. Roy and Chubby, uh, Roy's wife. Uh, but then there were some family members who weren't around when it was gathered that are still playing. Dwight is out on the West Coast. I forgot Andrew, who's Bebe's son. Uh, one of the things that's, that 
that's part of this collection is there's a jam in Calvin Kettier's living room. Uh, Calvin is the uh, nephew of Bebe, uh, but Bebe's son Andrew is in from the West Coast, and uh, they do Blue Runner uh, in Calvin's living room, uh, and they told, pull it off. And Bebe's 92 years old at that point, so it's special mm -hmm. family footage. <coughs> And it's again, it's to get the interviews that were missing. Uh, Laura, Roy's sister, Dwight, uh, another one of the, the the next generation of players. Uh -huh. Troy, Dickie Doo. Uh, you know, there's just there's more people to talk to. Sure. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, what's up, everybody? Normally, in the middle of podcasts, you get a bunch of advertisements, but on the New OrleansMusicians.com podcast. I'd like to shout out our members. Today I have for you an artist by the name of October Sky. He's originally from St. Louis, Missouri and now lives in Jefferson, Louisiana. He is a lyricist working with several producers to release singles. His latest release is a single called Side of Me featuring producer Raul Borcar and is a good example of the genres he prefers being both emo rock and rap. He's inspired by artists like Juice World, Linkin Park, Three Days Grace, and Eminem. The most important reason he's found himself pursuing a career in music is actually the pursuit of being himself. He enjoys doing something in life that's different and finds it easier to express his emotions. He hopes that fans find solace and perhaps guidance in this music. We have an interview with him publishing in the coming weeks on all podcast platforms. An article and video footage will follow shortly thereafter, so be sure to stop by NewOrleansMusicians.com and check him out. That's October with a K, October Sky. He's got a good vibe and a kind heart, and I wish him all the best. But hey, right now, check out a snip of his latest release, Side of Me. Check it out. And now back to our show. So on the on the collection of footage, um, it's not just performances; it's interviews with each right. of them. Right. And how does it, in your words, how does it, how does it construct a, a story for a viewer? Well, I've had the the trip. I I drove down here from D.C. and uh, for the trip, I had a collection of CDs that were from somebody that was trying to write a book and it's Roy talking and there's multiple copies of the CDs some of them are very bad copies but you can't I'm gonna have to now that I know that there's some that are clear I have to listen to those clear and then try to listen to the other ones that are fuzzy and if they're fuzzy and it's what I know is art and there's no newer information in them sure they're out but what you find is things like I mean they were sharecroppers they were poor. There was ten kids in a house, in a one-room house, mm -hmm. uh, with no icebox, no, you know, ch you know, a thirds as they call it. Uh, you know, they share crop, give up part of the crop, keep part of the crop. Um, the first landowner is Calvin, uh, and it's the the music is a family. The music helps families get through. It becomes part of the social fabric 
of the culture, really. Yeah. And it's not just the carrier family. There's the, there were dances or house parties. Uh, they were very local. Uh, if nobody has a car, you can't go very far. Mm -hmm. uh, you get there on a horse or you walk. Uh, so there are a lot of local um, social. It becomes the social fabric, uh, really. Yeah. And the music is important to that fabric. Yeah. And so this kind of this covers a span of time in their life and helps to kind of illustrate what life was like commonly around Zydeco music or kind of where Zydeco music came from. Yeah, where it comes from, uh, it, how it evolves out of the la la into Zydeco when they add instrumentation or it amplifies. Uh -huh. um, um, and the interrelation, how this family. Uh, Roy starts playing with Bebe and his father and his uncle and his cousin in a band, and that's a family band. Uh, but it's so many of them end up being, you know, players uh, for a period of their life of some sort. And uh, for that, this family, it helped them come through yeah. some some poverty that was pretty intense. Yeah. And as far as who remains uh, locally, you're only talking about one or two people, is that correct? Uh, there's a few. There's a few. Uh, the Roy's kids, Chubby and uh, Dickie Doo or Troy, uh, and Elaine, they're all still around. Uh -huh. um, Philip is still around, who is Calvin's son. Andrew's out on the West Coast. Dwight uh, is, and Ronald are two of the uh, cousins to Chubby and Troy. Um, Roy was uncle. Uh, so it's Laura is still playing rubboard. Gotcha. Uh, and she's Roy's sister. Uh, so there's still people around, mm -hmm. and there's still a lot of Zydeco going on, uh, uh, and trail rides and dances and churches and bars and events all over. It's still part of the culture down there. Yeah, without question. The um, some of the successes that he saw, that Roy uh, saw. Um, uh, being recognized? Well, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. I, I, it's a generic term, but you, being recognized uh, formally, whether it be for the Grammy or uh, the opportunity to, to play at the Jazz Fest, maybe you could expand on that a little bit. Um, Roy, uh, Chubby got out first. Chubby traveled before Roy did. Uh, Chubby got his name out. So Roy uh, came out to Jazz Fest once with Chubby. And we did our first CD, let's see, 96, 97, 97, 98. And I started pushing to try and try to get him into Jazz Fest. And I took an ad out in Offbeat that said, let the others fight over who would be king. No one else carries Clifton's torch like Roy, mm -hmm. which is a sort of in your face thing. <laughs> uh, and I think some people took offense at that. Uh, who is this person from DC coming in here and trying to tell us about? And there was a guy that reviewed the CD in Offbeat uh -huh. uh, that really trashed it, really, literally called it cheesy, called it sound bad. And I said, Oh, you know, I know I'm not saying anything about the sound. You've just forgot to turn it up. Because uh, my first equipment, you know, I was sneered at. Uh, I was recording at slow dat speed, oh heaven forbid, mm -hmm. but nobody was buying my tape, so 
and my dog might hear the difference. I sure couldn't. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, through a little Boss six-channel mixer, a little starter that Kevin McHendry gave me. Yeah. Uh, it's a starter. You know, it's nothing but gain. So the guy was it. commenting more on the quality than the material. Yeah. Well, what a shame. Yeah. And 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 at the very end of this trashing, he even trashed the cover, uh, which is Roy and band on stage, and Roy's in the center of uh, three white women in a stage uh -huh. and he called it cheesy well that the, the you know you have a doctor a lawyer and a business executive standing around Roy uh, and the combined income sitting around Roy nothing cheesy about it at all they they just love to dance Zydeco and um, they actually you can look this up there was actually a uh, an editorial in Offbeat after on the review signed by a whole bunch of women who took offense at the review of Roy's record. Wow. And they signed it Viva La Fromage. So it was uh, entertaining at that time. Yeah. Um, and over time, I mean, nobody argued with that statement, though. Uh, they, you know, it might shock you at first, but then when you thought about it, and, well, yeah, Roy, <laughs> he had Clifton you know, well, in him. Explain the, explain the, the saying, the reference. Um, at that time in the record business and Rounder Records was big on Zydeco there was this uh, promotional thing not promotional yeah you know where they s spent effort and money between Buzuchevas and Bojak who was king of Zydeco uh -huh. and they had the rock and bowl and the two of them on a bill and and one of them being brought in on you know hand carried chariot uh and Roy at that time, this is going on at the time of that first CD, um, Roy was always sort of felt on the outside looking in at mm -hmm. that. He was sort of left out. And, cause he, and here he is, he gave Bojack his lessons. He used to play with Bo Buzu in the barnyard, and he had his band together before Buzu put his, Buzu wouldn't play out. Uh, so he was, he was sort of frustrated by that. Yeah. Uh, and his opening song on that CD is you heard Buzu, you heard Bojack, you heard Keith Frank, you heard Little Step, Who's in Town, Roy Carrier is the way he rattles that off. And it, that's what's going on in Zydeco at that time. Who's the king? Who's replacing Clifton Chenier? Sure. Um, and, you know, nobody, he, nobody replaces Clifton. You know, that's, he carried Clifton's water. Clifton was his mentor. Sure. Uh, and that sort of uh, they, they only had him the year after that he got to lead his own stage sort of frustrating um, in that he got last slot of the day um, I forget which stage it was and there were two heavy duty highlighters at, e at each end of the track mm -hmm. Tra you know the crowd draws sure one from New Orleans and one international so you ended up with a smaller crowd uh, there to see him. And he was back the next year and he bought um, uh, Bebe and Calvin and their families and gave over chunks of his time. There was the interview stages that went on with those guys. Uh, and then he never was back after that. Yeah. Um, the, the recognition, did the Grammy follow? How did these happen? That's Chubby, that's Chubby got the Grammy. Okay, I didn't understand. I thought it was Roy. Yeah, sorry. No, Chubby got the Grammy. 
uh, just the year after Roy died. Um, and, um, you know, Roy wasn't there, but that's how that story continued. Gotcha. Roy got his Hall of Fame that year. Same year after the Grammy got to Chubby, Roy got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Gotcha. Alongside Boozoo and Clifton. Uh, because a, an entire generation said he needs to be in that first class, mm -hmm. and so they, they, and that's the last time I was in Lafayette. Yeah, was to come down for that intro, that uh, oh, ceremony. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that that was recent. No, that's a when while that ago happen? now. Uh, happened a while ago. Um, I'd have to look that up. Which year okay. was that? Probably in the aughts. Okay. Twenty ten. Well, see, right now 20, 2011, 2012. Yeah. Um. The VHS, the, all the tapes that you ended up with, um, that was uh, kind of a funny bit of happenstance. Maybe you could. There's lay a that story out. into that. The guy uh, who first had, who got the wild hair, uh, his name is James Anderson. He's an author. You can look him up. The Never Open Desert Diner is one of his books. Um, took, got taken with Chubby, began following him around, uh, got interested in the family story decided there should be a documentary called Zydeco by Birth, came to Southwest Louisiana with a camera crew. Uh, the guy who headed that camera crew ended up becoming in charge of NFL films. Um, but at that time, but that's who he came to Southwest Louisiana with and got all these first person interviews. He went out to, to Winder, Georgia with a four camera shoot uh, of what was called the Carrier Family Festival, which had Roy and Dwight and Chubby and uh, Troy and Philip and you know there was a family's worth of band uh -huh. and filmed that entire day uh, and uh, I was connected to and I went down to that I drove down that surprised him by showing up I was connected to it because as of as Roy's publisher I was going to help him navigate sync rights and publishing mm -hmm. which are steep hills you know there there's people see here sync rights and their eyes get real big um and, but life you know he had misfortune of life that really took him off the rails and the project went off the rails uh and he disappeared and i tracked him down a few years later and said hey i'm in washington dc now there's people here i know that would be interested in what you've collected especially of the tape of Bebe and Calvin and such but he wouldn't let anybody into it um, and when Roy died I called him and told him and he said that shook him up he would be back in touch with me and two weeks later he says I'm sending all the stuff to you oh wow so it all landed in my lap yeah for a dollar or ten dollars it might have been I think it was a dollar and what shows up in my lap is a set of beta tape masters, a set of VHS tapes, which probably came off the betas, which were played once. Um, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. So I start asking around. But what I realize is people want to piece it out. They're trying to lift out pieces of it. And uh, to me, that makes it less of a thing if you let it out that way. So I, sure. I decided I'd keep it together. And then when Folkways took over, acquired right on rhythm, I turned it all over to Folkways, figuring it was safe there. You know, I didn't have to worry about it. They, by rights, they, if anything happens with that, they're, con you know, they pay the family. Uh, 
but there it sat COVID happened right after that happened so they got everything sort of curtailed went way back in mm -hmm. and um, and so there it sat and at the end of and I kept trying to tell them they've got this stuff this stuff is important and somebody should and at the end of 21 it sort of came to me that unless I made that move it was just going to sit in their boxes till some date in the future somebody opened the boxes and went what the hell is this yeah and for for everybody listening how, how much material are we talking about well a good number of interviews first person interviews uh, which is the focus of what we were looking for there is a live tape uh, which but we've been focusing on the interview section of things at this point and uh, then adding to that collection to bring it up to date to include the Grammy and to include the uh, Hall of Fame and to include the other members of the family uh, that tells their story yeah um, so to make it a full documentary not a not a snippet of time sure since it covers an entirety of music uh, so that uh, so you came into possession of all of this right after Roy's passing and I and I started okay asking and telling people I've got this we've got this story we want to tell and everybody's reaction never heard one negative reaction wow that's great good luck and, and I keep asking and asking and then I start working through the uh, dot orgs in Louisiana and they're all reacting great wow yeah great idea but if I'm starting to talk grants most of the purveyance or the bandwidth of grants in southwest Louisiana orgs mostly there's big letters right across the top since the monies are so intensely local somebody from Louisiana yeah I'm not from Louisiana so I've asked and I mean NEH even said man we get get a proposal into our so we can consider this um, and I now have an org that will be a fiscal sponsor so I'm waiting I'm holding out for one and have another one in my pocket that will do it um, to allow the the finishing of this yeah the assemblage and finishing and I I did hook up with a documentarian down in Lafayette I mean I'd sent a, a, a question out to people that I'm somebody that's sort of been invisible but have done things that everybody that connect knows Roy knows mm -hmm. because it was his last five CDs and, and and getting him known and everybody knows that's what I did is trying to get him known um, and I sent a question out to the guy at the University of Louisiana uh, cultural director and I said hey do you know any documentarians that would be interested in this story and he sent me five names and I sent five emails out and one guy answered me and said tell me more and that was Eric bro and I ended up starting to work with him about I've sent him all the tapes he's digitized all of the off of the uh, uh, Sony tapes right not off the VHS so he's got the masters of those uh, and he's got I haven't sent him all of the tapes of the live performance at this point because there's so many of them yeah it was an entire day of all those full-length band sets and each each song would be four tapes that you'd have to sync up or there was each you know there were 
working through a day, four times the number of tape yeah. that you need to get through a day. So there's probably some things in there. Uh, my memory of that festival, it was sadly underattended, and there was an attempt by the camera people to not let you see how sparse the crowd <laughs> was. Yeah. When there was people dancing, it would try to catch them in the view. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so that's where we're at now. He's, he's just recently digitized, and you've got... Um, gathered more interviews that had been done with Roy. Oh, okay. Had been listening to those. Uh, we've, we have to write a script at some point. Sure. Uh, we don't have a script yet, but I've been coached on the proposal by somebody who's involved in this stuff all the time, and uh, you know, it's. Uh, I have hope that that comes through, but until it comes through, I don't. I can't talk about it. Sure, so, sure, yeah. It's frustrating, but yeah. Uh, it's it's just where it is, you know. It's it's it, life led me to this point, you know. It's uh, if I don't do it, nobody else will. Yeah, that's. Um, I, I'm. Uh, it's it's more to kind of um, keep moving the audience along, but what would you like to see come of this? What would you like to see it accomplish? A recognition for the family, a recognition for Roy, outside of the circle, outside of those that know. Mm -hmm. they're, they're the, they're the, they're the, the choir is already saying amen. To break them outside the choir. Got you. You know, it's, uh, that's, it's really hard to break outside the choir. Sure, yeah. You got the choir, they're already in your pocket. Is there a place where people can learn more about this, maybe to help further the efforts? There's a, a website uh, called Zydeco by Birth. There's a GoFundMe page, Zydeco by Birth. Uh, there's a Facebook page, Zydeco by Birth. Yeah. Uh, my page, Wayne Khan, connects to that. Uh, the DC Roots of Music connects to that. Because I would imagine, I mean, you've got a long road ahead of you, and it's not going to be a cheap one. That's, I'm waiting for that good grant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the hope, is it's a project worthy of that good grant. And mm -hmm. people we're talking to have been involved in those kind of projects. And uh, it, it's, that's a steep hill. It's a steep competition. There's lots of people whose stories should be told out there. Sure. And it, uh, to have one that's compelling, uh, that can reach out beyond the choir. That's that's always the hope, but not easy to do. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Check it out. We all pretty much start off like jam bands. We get together, we push our souls out through the speakers. We look around the stage and read off of one another, and, you know, after so much time, we know where the next person's going. Aside from those connections, we build connections with the fans, and that means the world to us. That's why listeners like yourself are so important to us. We'd love to have you back, so hit the button and follow the show. You can also support this show by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash New Orleans Music. That's buymeacoffee.com slash New Orleans Music. And remember, you can find music videos, albums, articles, and interviews with bands like my own, Pocket Chocolate, on neworleansmusicians.com. Thanks for listening.